0: Yep. You better be there. I worked hard. He parents. did. He did. <laughs> you better be there, parents. He was, I don't know what was going on. He was angry at Paul for a while over there in yeah, his I'm office. Yelling at him. Books were being thrown. No, what passage are you preaching on? Ephesians chapter four
1: um, verses the, the latter third. Just a few of them. Yep. The latter third of the verses in chapter four. Awesome. It's funny because well, cool. I was just preparing for the men's Bible study. Yeah, which is a Saturday, which, by the way. Guys. Which is Saturday. Yep. Yeah. So I I have that on my mind. And I was working on the other one on Sunday. So it's a couple days
0: removed, but yeah. I'm ready. Sometimes it's helpful. I found that when you're preparing for two sermons, like without even realizing it, you'll have crossover. Mm-hmm. Like because you're studying one bleeds into your studying the other because yeah. the Bible has one common narrative.
1: That's interesting how that works out. It's like
0: there's one author. It's like there's one author. Crazy. 66 books, one author. Yeah.
1: That's that's what we were talking about in uh, in Hebrews yesterday, right? Yep, yep. The Holy Spirit says it's the He's the one talking, even though it's the the pen
0: of Jeremiah or or of David, but it's the Holy Spirit who's talking. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's Wednesday. It's middle of the week, and uh, we're on our way. Hey, again, just this past weekend was awesome. <laughs> we're still riding the high of the the event on Sunday. Yeah, and uh, and so, this time we can so actually impressive.
1: talk about it. With reflection on what actually happened.
0: Right. Right. Because it has, it's now in the past.
1: It's now in the past and it is actually in the past for us as well.
0: Right. Right. And it was, it was great. We were, we were just reminiscing, reflecting on it as a staff this morning and just thankful for God's, uh, God's work through that event. And we're excited to do more. That's what we were talking about today. We're like, okay, when can we get back? What can we do next? Where can we schedule another one of these events? So helpful. Um, and just a good reminder church, like We're doing this church plant thing, and and good things are happening, and it feels good. Just each weekend, just feels really good now. But just let this be a reminder: we cannot grow complacent. We can't grow comfortable. Uh, We can't forget that we have to have this church plant mentality that says, "Man, we we are still the new kids on the block, and there's people that need an invite. There's people that need to know about Jesus. There's people that are going to a bad church that need to hear about." Uh, what we're doing here that we're preaching the, the Bible faithfully that's not to say every church out there is a bad church but but there are some out there right so we need to be mindful we need to be on alert we need to be inviting people and at church on Sundays be looking for the visitors be looking for the people that you don't recognize spend some time with them talk to them even if it feels awkward to you put your sh- yourself in their shoes and, and just think of the last time that you were someplace different and somebody came up and said hi to you I mean that, that was a it makes a difference it was a good feeling right yeah. you walk away feeling that way and you guys are doing this this is an Excel still more challenge In fact, I was talking to a a relatively new couple a couple weeks ago, and they said, man, we visited a lot of churches, and this is one of the warmest churches that we felt that – or that we've been welcomed at since we've been looking at churches. So good job. Good job. That's awesome. But let's not grow complacent. Let's excel still more. Let's crank up the heat. Right. Right. Because we want our church to be vibrant, and we want it to be a a faithful – Uh, lampstand. And uh, though the the temple in the Old Testament was certainly not a a lampstand per se, um, the the temple during Ezekiel's time, which is what we're looking at in our Old Testament reading, had become not a a place of the worship of God, but a place of uh, not just contempt but uh, complacency and uh, and just sin running rampant through the the uh, the the physical building of the temple the place where god was once worshiped had become a den of idolatry and and so that's what what we're jumping into in our old testament reading ezekiel 10 11 and 12 today and then the first part of hebrews chapter 11 for our new testament reading um but uh, in chapter nine, we marked the beginning of the departure of God's glory from the temple. And we had talked about, you know, once it was gone, then that's it. It's not coming back until the, the new heavens and the new earth that this is uh, this is significant in the history of the Israel Israelite people here. Um, and so in, in chapter 10, you have uh, the, the actual departure of the glory of the Lord. There's not going to be any more of his presence there. We read about it in verse four, uh, the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the house. The house was filled with the cloud. The court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. So it's leaving. It's, it's vacating its place here. And this is uh, this is symbolic to Ezekiel, the prophet, as he's having this vision of God saying, I'm done with this place. It's setting the stage for the ultimate downfall of Jerusalem.
1: Yeah, this is bad news in case that wasn't clear already. And don't forget, we're in the temple sermon. So we're at the, temple, the temple sermon vision. So remember chapters 8, 9, 10, 11 are the temple vision. We're, we're, we're experiencing with Ezekiel what's taking place. God's judgment on mankind is, is not primarily the evi- eviction of the people from the land, although that's part of it. It's him removing his presence. That is the real judgment. That's the one that they should be terrified about because this is the one that, that matters the most if God were with them in wherever they are, that that would be a comfort to them. But for God to say, I'm removing my glory from this place and I'm taking it away in a semi-permanent fashion. That's the one that's going to hurt.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, once we get to, to Daniel, we'll see some of the things that happen here. It, Cause when the temple is destroyed, and ransacked and the people are carried off. One of the things that Nebuchadnezzar does is he carries off some of the vessels of the temple of the God of the Israelites, and he brings them back to Babylon to to his treasuries and storehouses. And the reason why the the Old Testament uh, kingdoms would do that to another nation when they would go in to to defeat them is it was a way to flex their God over the God of the, the other nation. And so it was a way for them to say, look, our God is stronger. We're taking the things meant for the worship of your God, and now we're bringing them to our God's house. But here we see that long before Nebuchadnezzar gets there to attack Jerusalem, God is, is no longer with his people. God is is leaving his people behind. So this is no this is no victory of Nebuchadnezzar and the the Babylonian gods over the God of Israel. In fact, as we've seen already, Nebuchadnezzar was a pawn in the hand of the God of Israel. But here, you know, God is leaving. He's not there. He's not with his people. And so it's it's significant for us to to just read that. But it would have been significant just from a that national identity and security perspective for the Israelites too, to go, okay, God's not with us anymore because they were very much uh, mindful of, of God's fighting on behalf of their people. And this would have been a a significant event.
1: Yeah. So there's an interesting discrepancy. If you can call it that the, the middle of chapter 10 um, you have the four faces this time, the four faces are not the ones that you saw at the beginning. They're slightly different. You have here the cherub. That's the new one. um, The human, the lion, and the eagle. Now, those last three we're familiar with. We saw those already. But here we have a different face, a cherub face, or at least so it seems. So how do we put these two pieces together? Well, I think, and from what I've read, I have good confidence to believe that what's missing is actually not missing. It's just a different way to say the same thing. The cherub and the ox—the ox is the one that you might have been um, noticing—actually, uh, the the cher- cherub is represented by an ox for whatever reason I don't know why that is the case but Sumerian text suggests that it seems like okay this is what's happening here so it's not two different spectacles they're the same spectacle using slightly different verbiage this time around so nevertheless this is likely the same thing uh, Ezekiel saw not even likely it's it's almost certainly the same thing Ezekiel
0: saw at the beginning of his visions yeah yeah. Chapter 11, then we get uh, some hope despite judgment. There, there's a both and going on here. Uh, it's There's this weird situation here, there, uh, another difficult translation moment with the boast that the people are saying, uh, we are the meat and the city is the cauldron. There's a question of whether or not that was a good thing or uh, if that was a bad thing. Um, were they bemoaning that fact? Or were they saying, well, the cauldron is, is that which protects the meat from the fire? And so the fire may be turned up, but we're okay because the cauldron preserves the meat in some regard. Or was this a negative thing? No, we're we're getting, we're getting cooked. Our goose is cooked. Right. And, uh, and uh, yeah, what's the answer on that? Uh, I've read commentaries, <laughs> yes. and I don't know. I, I mean- the only thing I'll say is it, it seems like it. they may have thought that, that it was a positive thing because look at verse 11. Uh, the Lord says, this city shall not be your cauldron, nor shall you be the meat in the midst of it. I will judge you at the border of Israel. So there it seems like the Lord is implying he's going to bring them out of the city, remove them from their preserved protection and judge them outside the city. So that's why I might lean towards the side that they're saying that, that the, the cauldron protects them from the heat from the outside. But there's arguments on the other end of of things too. PR, did you have any uh, thoughts on that, or or come across anything on that?
1: I don't. well no, no, beyond what I I read when I read it, I didn't read it as a positive thing. I saw it more as a judge, a, a sense of judgment, a foreboding judgment. We're we're being cooked alive. This is, I mean, this is it. Yeah. The walls are not a place for us to be protected. We're being we're being uh, eaten, consumed. We're being destroyed. And God's saying, "Well, that's true, but it's it's not the way you think. I'm going to actually destroy you guys in a different way." And in that way, you're going to know that I'm the Lord. I'm calling my shots before the shots happen is kind of what I, what I saw there. So yeah, I, I didn't know that. That's, that's an interesting read. I, I, it did not even occur to me that that was an option.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I found it in a, a couple of them out there. I think Daniel Block in his commentary, uh, the, the NICOT. Oh, yeah. Um, DB. My yeah. man DB. Yeah. DB, ABCD, EFG. NICOT, New International Commentary on the Old Testament. Overall, a pretty solid Uh, series series. there's uh maybe some in there but but by and large and daniel block's great he's a a great commentator the hope though is found in chapter 11 in uh in the the latter portions of it beginning in verse 17 therefore say thus says the lord god i will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of all the countries where you've been scattered and i will give you the land of israel and some repetition of the new covenant. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove their heart of stone from the flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So here again, we see that there's a, an imminence of judgment, but a future of blessing, a future of hope for the Israelites. And throughout the book and throughout the book of Ezekiel, he is still pointing to this remnant that would be preserved. And through the remnant, ultimately the future hope would be realized, not Necessarily in their lifetimes, but in lifetimes to come through the future of the the people, which the Israelites are are still waiting for by and large today.
1: So, if I were you, I would put in your Bible next to that section that Pastor PJ just read, chapter thirty six, verse twenty two and following. Yep. Um, this is a preview of what he's going to develop further on. It's kind of like our Jeremiah thirty three. Um, we what we're seeing here is a preview of God's future covenant with Israel slash the church. Um, and this is the preview of the new covenant. So here you see, uh, elements, a glimpse of it before he develops it more fully in chapter 36 yeah.
0: verse 22 and following. Yeah. Hey, chapter 12, 12, we get another skit. Oh, fun. It'd been a while since we had a skit. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like these skits, man. I'm
1: thinking about ways that we could approach preaching a little differently now for youth group, uh, well, the main pulpit
0: ish kids, no, youth, maybe all the above. Yeah.
1: I mean, is this youth group? Is this kids ministry that Ezekiel's engaging in? I don't think so, buddy.
0: That's it. I'm dressing up like Jesus on Sunday. (laughs) Done. We're studying John 4. As
1: long as you don't start making bread over, uh, you know, poop.
0: (laughs) Okay. I mean, that's what it is. I was going to use more polite terminology, but okay. Yeah, there it is. I threw it out there. Look, I'm a dad of young boys, so there's a lot of conversations about that in our household. Hey, (laughs) chapter 12. (laughs) Chapter 12. Chapter twelve. Uh, the The skit this time is God tells the prophet to pack his bags um, and uh, to carry them out of the city and back in and, and back out again and back in. It's, it's this repetition of Ezekiel just taking his his suitcase. Dude, I don't like carrying my suitcase anywhere. And so this would have been this would have been the worst. I'd have been like, God, can I lay on my side again? Because I I just don't I don't like carrying my suitcase. No, but he's doing this to symbolize the fact that is that the Israelites are going to go into captivity. Contrary to what their prophets are saying, they're false prophets, and we're going to get into them tomorrow. But uh, they're going to go into captivity, and God is making that abundantly clear to them. You need to get ready. You need to pack your bags because that's where you're going. Verse 15, they shall know that I am the Lord when I disperse them among the nations and scatter them among the countries. They will then know that I am the Lord. Uh, And so this is just a reminder to the people that their false prophets might be saying, peace, peace, we're good, we're in the cauldron, or or maybe that's a bad thing, who who
1: knows.
0: (laughs) But God is saying, you're not going to stay here. You're either going to die here or you're going to go into exile. Those are kind of your two choices right now.
1: And when God delays on those things, when he delays to execute judgment immediately, we have this tendency to be like, oh, it must be fine. He must be okay with that. But in verse 25 he says, O uh, rebellious house, I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord. It will no longer be delayed in your days, O rebellious house. So one of the things that Israel might struggle with is thinking that God is either impotent or that he actually really doesn't care. Um, he, he doesn't have the power to, to enact his decrees or he just doesn't really care about it all that much. When in reality, what's happening is that God is being patient with us. He's being patient with them but there is an endpoint to his patience. Sometimes we talk about God like he's, I mean, we, we use the term unconditional love, his agape love. We talk about his infinite patience, we might say. And and those words are true insofar as they reflect a part of how we're talking about God, but it is not true that he is infinitely patient. It is not true that his love is unconditional. His love is conditional in the sense that we must repent and trust Christ, we are called to live that kind of life it is his love from, from that point on. And, and I guess if we're talking about his electing love in that sense, yes, it's unconditional because he sets his affection upon us before we even think about turning toward him. But once in Christ, his love does have a conditional quality to it. His patience does have conditions to it. He's looking for us to repent. He's looking for us to, to submit to his leadership. And if we don't, well, there is a time when those things do
0: run out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as you were talking about that, I, I flipped over to Second Peter chapter three. Right, That's exactly um, what I was thinking of. Yeah, because the, there Peter says there's going to be people that say, "Where's the promise of his coming?" You guys keep talking about this fact that Jesus is coming back. Where is he? And this is the the famous passage where he says, "You know, don't overlook this one fact that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance." That's right. Uh, but the day of the Lord will come, is what he follows up with after that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, good reminder. Well, let's go to the Hall of Faith. And let's only read part of it, though. Can yeah, we do that? Just 19 verses. Just, just 19 I got verses. You. I, got you. I got you. I've got a Bible plan S- yes. just for you.
1: <laughs>
0: well, yeah, chapter 11 of, of Hebrews is sometimes referred to as the Hall of Faith. Um, and that's because that's what this chapter is all about. Faith is defined right off the bat. Faith is the assurance, the certainty of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then he goes on to explain how faith has looked throughout the Bible. A couple things of note and we'll point out some. Maybe, PR, you can contribute what some of your favorites are in this. Uh, right away, I, I'm encouraged by this, this first one. Um, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was was not made out of things that are visible. One of the most debated issues in in the church and outside the church is how did we get this, all of this? How do we get this world? How do we get creation? And the Genesis account teaches us that it was creation, what we call ex nihilo, meaning God created out of nothing. He spoke and it came to be. And we believe that he did that in six literal days and he rested on the seventh. And here you have the writer of Hebrews supporting that idea by saying this is a matter of faith by faith. We believe that God created out of nothing that he did not create from some eternal substance that was already there. So uh, this is a, a another testimony to the the origins of the universe here in the New Testament when so often we think about them just in the Old Testament. Yeah, and there's so much there's so much here. There's just so much
1: here. I mean, the fact that Jeff does in this list, even though I don't think he's in the list until tomorrow, uh, there's just so much here that just sparks my mind. Mental I'm, mental I'm, mental. I know it's Come hard on. not to. It's hard not to. Okay, so I think it's cool that uh, among all of these people that you would may or may not put in the hall of faith i, I mean you got sarah in there I, sarah's in there i think that's kind of cool yep sarah uh, wife of abraham is is in is included in this list and i think that's commendable uh, again in first century uh, ancient near eastern culture that that wasn't a thing that wasn't a thing the church has made this a thing and I, not that i'm gonna use this term but i don't mean it in the way that we typically employ it today uh, the christian church is the place where women first receive their I don't know, <laughs> their due they're they're given uh significance and they're given a place of uh, of honor that I, I don't know that any other system of thought has produced. There's no other philosophy of man or other religion that gives women this 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 preeminent role. And yeah. Sarah's honored
0: and esteemed because of her role for being a woman of faith. And I think that's really cool. I love that. Yeah, that is cool. Uh, something else that's, that's neat about this, I, I mentioned this when we first started reading the book of Hebrews, is that it, it really is a sermon. And so one principle of interpreting the Bible is that it's always helpful to let the Bible interpret the Bible, and here you have that done in sermonic form. We get insights in chapter eleven into some of these Old Testament situations that you don't find in the Old Testament text when you just read the Old Testament text. For example, look at verse seventeen: By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, whom he and he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, uh, through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. Now, verse 19 is the point. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. If you go read the Genesis account, it doesn't say say that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. And the closest we get to that is when he tells his servants, the boy and I are going to go worship and we will come back to you. But here you have scripture interpreting scripture, giving us light into an Old Testament passage that isn't there uh, on the surface reading that says, Abraham thought, man, even if I I execute my son, God's going to bring him back from the dead. Yeah, that's cool.
1: That's cool. Janice and Jambres, too. Another example. We don't have their names, but now that we have them in the New Testament, we know who they are.
0: Right. Right. So this is again what what is all of this about what is the faith about it is to go back to the opening verse assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen and if you look through this look at verse 10 it says he was looking forward to To the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Look down at verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. I'm going to jump to tomorrow real quick. Don't do it. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And so if you you notice, the theme in this chapter is forward looking. Looking not for the, the the fruition here, but for the fruition there, the, the reward there. And that's what faith is hold is holding on to anchor to. It's the then and there more than the here and now.
1: Well, what are we gonna talk about tomorrow? I don't know. You just jumped into tomorrow's reading.
0: I have faith that we'll figure out something to talk about tomorrow. <laughs> oh. So join us then if you will for another episode. Bye. Bye.